they're a loud minority, basically, and they're trying to stir chaos by bringing people on the streets and also trying to provoke violence. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Other than Ukraine itself, no country has been impacted so deeply by Russia's invasion than Moldova. It is a small country of just 2.5 million people and one of the poorest countries in Europe, yet Moldova has absorbed more Ukrainian refugees per capita than any other country in the world. Moldova is also uniquely dependent on Russian gas, and most of Moldova's electricity comes from a breakaway eastern region called Transnistria, which is under the de facto control of Russia. Russia has used its control of energy and gas to undermine Moldova's stridently pro-European government. Gas and electricity costs have soared for the average Moldovan consumer, and inflation is now running at about 30%. To make matters worse, a pro-Russian fugitive oligarch named Ilan Shor has been fomenting street protests in the capital Chisinau for the last several months. And both the Ukrainian government and the U.S. government have warned of potential Russian-backed plots to overthrow the pro-Western Moldovan government led by President Maya Sandu. Joining me from Chisinau is journalist Paula Erzanu. You can read her work in The Guardian, where she recently filed a story about these pro-Russian protests. We kick off discussing the protests and the destabilization efforts by the Kremlin before having a wider discussion about the ways in which Moldova has been impacted by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The ability of Moldova to withstand Russian destabilization efforts is indeed consequential for the region and the world. We don't get into this too much in this episode, but Moldova shares key historic, cultural, and linguistic ties with Romania, which is a NATO member, And there is certainly concern that if the war expands in some way to include Moldova, that it may draw in Romania and by extension, NATO. As always, feel free to reach out to me if there are questions you have or if you have suggestions of people I should interview or topics I should cover. 
You can use the contact form on globaldispatchespodcast.com or hit me up on Twitter while it still exists at Mark L. Goldberg. Now here is my conversation with journalist Paula Arizanu. So it seems like it's been a chaotic couple of weeks on the streets of Chisinau. Can you explain what or who is behind this most recent pro-Russian protest? Yes, it's not just been a few weeks of protests. We've had these protests going on since autumn. They are organized by the Shore Party, which is a Kremlin-tied party, the leader of this political force is Ilan Shor. He's an oligarch. He was found guilty for money laundering and being involved in this famous billion dollar theft that bankrupted three of Moldova's banks in 2014. His trial is ongoing. He hasn't had his final sentence yet. In any case, in order to avoid being arrested, he left for Israel, where he has been hiding for some time now. But meanwhile, his people here are trying to destabilize the situation on the ground in order to prevent the reform of the judiciary from happening. The reform of the judiciary was the key reform promised by the ruling party when they came into power. This was before the war. And so the anti-corruption kind of agenda was the main thing on people's minds at that time. It seems that this probably corrupt oligarch wants to disrupt the process of reforming the judiciary so as to avoid conviction for his likely corruption. Yes, yes. And so in order to do that, he has allied with the Kremlin, which is also unhappy about Moldova's pro-European stance and anti-war, anti-Russian invasion stance. So they have a common political foe. The pro-EU, pro-Western Moldovan government is seen as like an obstacle to the Kremlin and a potential threat to Shore himself. And so Shore has aligned with the Kremlin. Exactly. But it's my understanding that Shore's political party is relatively fringe, right? It only has a a tiny number of seats in the Moldovan parliament. Yeah, they only have six out of 101 seats. But their rating is a bit higher at the moment in recent polls than it was when we had our last parliamentary elections. And they're a loud minority, basically, and they're trying to stir chaos by bringing people on the streets and also trying to provoke violence and kind of keep authorities busy so that they don't have time to actually focus on the reforms they need to undertake. So the protests thus far, have they been particularly violent or just sort of loud and disruptive? They have been disruptive. So we have had protests even today and yesterday blocking streets. They really want to kind of make people annoyed and create this kind of chaos. But we have also had uh, lots of kind of false bomb alerts, hundreds of them, especially last summer, 
across the Chisinau airport as well as across public institutions. And there were four such bomb alerts on Sunday as well, um, the same day as the big protests that were organized. And then there's also a disinformation operation going at the moment, which has intensified over the past few months. And there were plans of violence, according to the Moldovan government. So on Sunday, in addition to the protests or just before them, we also had a press conference given by the Moldovan head of the police, Viorel Cernoutzano, who in a kind of unprecedented gesture of transparency, if I may express myself like that, shared with the public and with journalists the operation that the Moldovan police has worked on, which has basically involved an undercover agent who worked with Russian secret agents in order to learn and kind of deconstruct their plan where they were trying to create 10 groups of five to 10 men with either sports training or a criminal record. And they were trying to get these groups to break police cordons and also to generate violence. And in exchange for their services, they would have received $10,000. And so it was the day of the protest, right, that the Moldovan police announced this arrest and, and disruption of what they claimed to be a planned, violent, almost insurrection orchestrated by a handful of people against key targets around Chisinau. Yeah, and they detained seven people, seven leaders, and they said that they're working with dozens of others who are providing them with information. And during those protests, there were minor kind of incidents of violence where truly the crowd was trying to break the police cordon as the shore party members were encouraging the crowd to break the police cordon and move a uh, switch location. So we've seen inclinations towards the plan that was revealed by the police, but it looked like the police did a good job in maintaining public order. So I wanted to ask you how much credibility you put into that Moldovan police statement, press conference, saying that indeed they disrupted what they claimed to be you know, agitators, because it would seem to serve the political interests, at least of the current government, to portray these kind of shore-aligned protesters as outside Russian agitators. I mean, it could very well be true. I'm just wondering how much credibility you put in it. Yeah, so that press conference aligns with the messages we have heard from the U.S. state, from Zelensky on this new Russian plan to destroy Moldova, and from the Moldovan president, Maya Sandu. If you remember a few weeks ago, she had a press briefing where she said that there were intelligence reports that said that people with military training, wearing civilian clothes, would try to kind of participate in these protests or use these protests in order to break into public institutions and take hostages. 
And the U.S. confirmed that they also had similar information from their intelligence reports and Ukraine did the same. So in a way, we have, you know, three countries having the same messages about Russian involvement in Moldovan politics or using these kind of protests in order to destabilize things here. Also, we have a clear Russian link between Shore and the Kremlin. Last year, several Russian TV, state TV channels, which get retransmitted or used to get retransmitted in, in Moldova, switched their ownership from people close to Dodon, the former pro-Russian president, to people within Shore's circle. So, you know, that is an extra kind of proof that shows the link between the Kremlin and Shore. And also last year, Shore members of parliament and representatives went to Moscow in order to negotiate a special deal for exports, for Moldovan apple exports from Orhei, the town in the north kind of center of Moldova, which is led by the Shore party. This was during an embargo on Moldovan fruit into Russia. And they wanted to prove that, look, we are going you know, to Moscow when we're negotiating a special deal for you. And this is what the Moldovan government should also do about energy. Like we are going to get you know, Russian gas while the rest of the country will not. But basically they, their narrative was Maya Sandu, the Moldovan president, should go to Moscow and kind of kneel in front of Putin in order to get a better gas deal or like to ask for more gas. So there are lots of links. The Kremlin propaganda and the shore propaganda is very much aligned. Well, I was going to ask you about propaganda or disinformation campaigns. I mean, living and working as a reporter in Moldova, what sort of evidence do you see on a daily or weekly basis of ongoing Russian disinformation campaigns that are seeking to destabilize this pro-EU government? Well, I think, you know, even when I went to cover the protests on Sunday, I was speaking to protesters there, and I could see that all of the ideas that they were voicing came as a kind of package, you know, of ideas that they got from these Russian or shore um, TV channels, they all mentioned that it was better when we were with Russia because gas was cheap, for instance. That was one of their main points that they promoted. And as a kind of internet user, there are constant kind of sponsored posts from the Shore Party, for instance, which are promoting the same kind of pro-Russian, anti-government, anti-Moldovan government messages. And this is weird because these sponsored advertising comes on Facebook and Meta is an American company and sure is sanctioned in the US. But meanwhile, Facebook still accepts money from him and his sponsored posts. So there are, there's information on social media, there is information on TV, although the government banned six Russian and Shore TV channels at the end of last year because of lack of transparency over this change of ownership and because of the lack of balance in the coverage of the Ukraine war. Despite this, 
they are launching new TV channels. So there is a real kind of presence of these narratives online and in the media. So, you know, it, it would seem that to a certain extent, Moldova is potentially fertile ground for a Russian disinformation and destabilization campaign, if only for the fact that, you know, it's probably arguably outside Ukraine and Russia, the country that is most impacted by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I saw a statistic the other day that inflation reached about 30% last year, energy costs are absolutely soaring as a consequence of, of Russia cutting off some supplies. Can you just describe the impact broadly that Russia's invasion of Ukraine has had on Moldova? Yes. So Ukraine was one of our main importers of cheap food. So that was one way in which we were impacted. Then Moldova was is the country which has received most refugees per capita. Our population is 2.6 million. We now have, I think, about 100,000 refugees on our territory, and I think about 700,000 refugees crossed the territory throughout the war. So that stretches the kind of existing resources. But above all, Moldova was dependent almost entirely on Russia for gas and also electricity, because our electricity comes from this plant in Transnistria, Moldova's breakaway region controlled by Russia. So we were fully dependent on cheap energy from Russia. And now that Russia reduced its gas supplies to Moldova, and then we also had some issues as a result with getting electricity from Transnistria, that has led to people paying bills that were up to six times higher than last year. For electricity? Gas and electricity together. I mean, that's intense. Six times more than they were a year ago is startling. And I have to imagine that causes a certain amount of discontent among the population. Yeah. And actually, the genuine kind of dissent that you feel with people, whether they are protesting or whether they're just critical of the government comes from this economic crisis, understandably so, because at the protests, for instance, a lot of people are pensioners, they're elderly, and they fully depend on state pensions, which are really low. The minimum pension is 100 euros or so. So these are some of the key challenges facing the, the Sandu government, which, despite this all, retains a very large majority in parliament. Recently, though, the prime minister resigned somewhat abruptly. What explains that resignation? And what is the significance of the person who has become the new prime minister? So in the international media, because this change of prime ministers came only like a couple of days after Zelensky's claim in Brussels that there was a Russian plan to destroy Moldova. And then we also had some weird kind of flying object from Russia, possibly, across the Moldovan airspace. So because of this context, there were headlines about a government collapse. But that would be an inaccurate term. 
for months, lots of Moldovans were requesting a government change because they were unhappy with certain ministers. And we have indeed seen that three ministers within the government were changed and those ministers were the ones who had lower kind of political ratings. And then the change of prime minister analysts interpret that as both a kind of necessity of the moment because the former prime minister, Natalia Gavrilica, she's a development expert. She came to power with this kind of anti-corruption mandate and suddenly a war started. And, and she has done quite well in coping with all of these enormous challenges that the war and the, the refugee crisis have posed to Moldova. But as there have been this intensified kind of security risk for Moldova in recent months, according to the Moldovan, Ukrainian and American intelligence reports, the ruling party and the president went for a candidate who has more experience in security in internal kind of affairs. So his name is Dorin Rechan, the new prime minister, and he was a minister of interior previously. And also over the last year, he was Maya Sandu's security advisor. So partly it was to do with this change of expertise and partly it was a kind of political strategic move ahead of the local elections next autumn and then presidential elections and parliamentary elections in the next years. Does replacing a development, an anti-corruption focused prime minister with a prime minister whose background is in more internal security and national security issues suggest to you at all that there is a potential that the Moldovan government might, in the midst of, of the chaos that's happening in Ukraine, seek to reclaim Transnistria, that pro-Russian breakaway territory? There has been talk about the fact that the Ukrainian victory would definitely create an opportunity for Moldova to solve the conflict in Transnistria by diplomatic, peaceful means, that it would bring this kind of window of opportunity that we haven't seen in the last three decades since the Russian-Moldovan war over Transnistria in 1992. But whether this could be solved during the war is just a bit more complicated, I guess. This was a question people on Twitter wanted me to ask you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not laughing at the question. I'm just, you know, laughing because um, I think it would be quite complex and difficult. And also it's a bit scary as an idea because there are too many risks involved. And is there anything that the European Union and more broadly, like the Western Alliance can do to help mitigate some of these risks? Like I know Moldova has like candidate status with the European Union. Is there any talk that the European Union can be doing more to perhaps, I don't know, subsidize energy costs in Moldova to perhaps make Moldova more resilient against Russian destabilization efforts? 
Yeah, for sure. And Western partners have already contributed financially and they have been able, the Moldovan government, to subsidize people's bills. I think the amount of money that the Moldovan government got from Western partners was not quite as much as they requested. And so the effects were slightly reduced, but still have taken a toll on people's pockets, budgets, incomes. I think Moldova definitely needs more help on tackling Russian disinformation. It needs support on advancing its judiciary. And if Moldova and the EU can strengthen their economic ties even ahead of Moldova's future EU integration, that would probably also help economically. We have seen some opening in terms of allowing more Moldovan exports to reach European markets. And I guess we just need to intensify that that process. And also another kind of worrying development recently is that the civilian airspace in Moldova is becoming a bit more vulnerable as the low-cost company Wizair left Moldova, uh, supposedly for security reasons. And that that's a low-cost airline, right? Like something like Orion Air, that kind of thing, but it operates in, in Eastern Europe. Yeah, so their main office is in Budapest. So there were some rumors that this decision was more political than pragmatic. And there were um, other sources cited by journalists from Radio Free Europe, which said the decision was actually commercial. In any case, we've lost that flight company and also Air Moldova, the company which is linked with Ilan Shore, has been cancelling lots of flights. And apparently this is also to do with the fact that, well, not just with mismanagement, but also to do with the US sanctions against Shore and the kind of costs that this has on Air Moldova. And we would need yeah, more international kind of financial support generally in order to relaunch the economy, more foreign investment as well. And also, we obviously need support to strengthen our energy security because we've been dependent on Russia for decades. Now we need to diversify our sources, including by investing in more green energy. These would be some of the steps. On shore, it seems that a lot of the destabilization efforts and the disinformation can be kind of traced to him. And as you said, he's under U.S. sanctions. He's currently living in Israel, another U.S. ally. Is there a sense that he may be extradited to Moldova to face charges? Or what is the Moldovan government's priorities regarding him personally? Yes, the Moldovan government asked Israel to extradite Shor, but Israel hasn't yet acted upon this. I'm not sure if and when that is going to happen. I keep hearing rumors that this is close to happening, but I think, you know, we're yet to see some action. Well, Paula, thank you so much for your time and for your analysis. Thank you, too.
Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Before you go, do take a moment to show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so with a couple taps of your thumb. If you're listening elsewhere, you can go to patreon.com slash global dispatches. We rely on support from listeners to continue to do what we do far into the future. And by becoming a premium subscriber, you will unlock access to our entire archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts.